Welcome to our Transgender School podcast. We're here to talk about diverse transgender identities and experiences so that we can all be better allies and advocates. We'll also discuss current events, welcome guests, and share actions you can take to support trans people. I'm Bridget, and my daughter Jackie came out as a transgender woman about four years ago when she was 19 years old. I was totally unprepared, but I have learned a lot since then. And now Jackie and I are passionate about sharing what we've learned. When I came to terms with being trans, I realized that I absolutely needed to transition, but coming out was very stressful. Now that a few years have passed, things have gotten somewhat easier, and I want to help other trans people navigate their own unique experiences. Happy February, everyone. I hope your year is going well so far. Thanks for joining us for our second podcast episode of the year. Uh, These have been getting a lot more views than we anticipated they would, so we are glad to be here with you again with what I think is a very exciting topic. Yeah, me too. And happy February for me. And as Jackie said, every month when we go in and look at the analytics, I'm in shock at how many more people are listening. So we're going to do our best to, you know, keep great content coming. And we love we love your feedback. I've noticed more reviews. So please keep those coming. Let us know what we can help you with. We're really happy to be um, to be with you and to be sharing this information with you. So thanks, everybody. And if you haven't yet, don't forget to follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash transgender school that helps support our work and cover the cost of advertising the different content that we put out and trying to reach as many as people as possible, as many people as possible so we can help as many families as possible. We add great clips from all of our footage on Patreon. The last two were about my grandfather who passed away and how supportive he was. And yesterday we posted a clip where we give tips for addressing uh, religious arguments, which I think is a particularly interesting one. You can also rent our Transgender Allyship 101 video for only $10 now, and $5 of that $10 will go to Transforming Family, our support group, which is amazing. So you're giving a donation to them, and you're helping us out with a little bit of our costs, and you can rent that. It's a 90-minute video. You can rent it at vimeo.com, vimeo.com slash on demand slash trans ally. And you can find us on all social media, of course. So today we are going to talk about sexual orientation. This is a topic that we have gotten a lot of questions about from our membership. And while we have largely been focused on transgender education and transgender issues, specific trans people, I think that this is definitely relevant insofar as people often conflate sexual orientation and gender identity. And because they are part of the same broad umbrella of queerness and the LGBTQ community. And it's important to understand the differences and similarities between experiences among people who are cisgender but queer, people who are transgender but straight or transgender and bisexual or gay or lesbian and all of those different amalgamations of identities. Yeah, good setup, Jackie. And I just want to say I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you because I think there is such a huge generational difference. I don't know what you think about that. I'd love to hear your thoughts, but between your generation and my generation, to be quite honest, when I was growing up, my concept was that people were either gay or straight. And those are pretty much the only constructs I had around sexual orientation. And I have always had friends and we've had family members who are um, gay and lesbian 
people. So I think that that was something that I was always very comfortable with and familiar with. And now we live in a whole different world where an article that I was reading in preparation for this discussion said that there are or identified and defined 46 terms related to sexual orientation that are being used today. So I think things are pretty different for your generation. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think that my generation really understands how this is about expressing yourself and how you experience sexual orientation and that that's a very subjective thing. And there's going to be a lot of different words that work for a lot of different people. And really the bottom line, which we will get to, and we will describe um, a lot of these different variations and a lot of these different terms, but really the bottom line is that it's not my job or my responsibility or, and I really don't have a right to judge anyone else's sexual orientation. It is up to them to, to express their sexual orientation and how they want to define it. And it's up to me to respect that and to understand that and to educate myself if I don't understand that. That's a great, you know, foundation to lay. And I would also want to say that just because someone identifies in a certain way at a particular time, that doesn't mean they always will, right? So this is like ever-changing, fluid, everything that we're sharing may or may not be true for an individual at any point in their life. So, you know, that it kind of gets into asking about these things. And I think we should kind of have a disclaimer that because we're talking about this and we're comfortable as mother and daughter talking about these things does not mean that as a parent, you should go to your kid and demand that they, you know, tell you how they identify or anything about their sexual identity or, or their sexual life. And so we're not in any way suggesting that this, in fact, we want to have this conversation so that maybe we can answer some of the questions that your kids or other people in your life may not be comfortable discussing with you. So let's look at first a couple of the different aspects of sexual orientation. And in a lot of the reading I did, there was a differentiation between sexual attraction and romantic attraction. And so... People can be romantically attracted to a person, and that may or may not include sexual attraction. So, for example, one of the terms is asexual, right? And so sometimes it's assumed, I think everybody knows what asexual is, right? That you're, well, let me give you the official definition, right? We'll go, we'll go to does, some Does of the everyone know? Yeah, let's, let's tell Yeah, right. So the definition that I found, Jackie, you can tell me if this is what you would think of it as. Asexual identity or orientation includes individuals who don't experience sexual attraction to others of any gender. They're, they may also be referred to as aces. Some people who are asexual do experience romantic attraction to people of one or multiple genders. And so I think that's an important distinction because if we're first differentiating people who are asexual and people who are not asexual, being asexual doesn't mean that you don't have romantic attraction to people, a person, or it could be just one person or multiple people in your life. And an example of this is someone who I know in a training I was in explained to the group that he is asexual, but he has a romantic partner and they live together and they experience romantic love and they are companions for life. They're committed for life, but they're both asexual. I think that's confusing to people, but it should make perfect sense because this is such a complex topic with so many. There's a unique sexual identity and experience for every single person on the planet, right? So is that your understanding of asexuality, Jackie? Yeah, and and I think it's really up to each person to define, you know, if they identify as asexual, what that means to them. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think also what I want to bring up is that for many parents, there's an assumption that their kids are straight. So I wanted to ask you about when you were growing up, Jackie, because my recollection is that I just assumed, just like I assumed that you were a boy and I was wrong about that, I assumed that you were straight. And so I used to ask you from a pretty early age if you liked any girls at school, do you have a crush on any girls? And I just automatically assumed and spoke to you as if any kind of interest that you might have in that way would be straight. Is that your recollection? Yeah, I think that there's always a presumed or not, hopefully not always anymore, but at least when I, when I grew up, it felt like in our culture, there, there was always a presumed straightness and a presumed cisgenderness that existed um, when you were a kid. And I, I don't, I mean, I understand why that is in terms of historical power structures and being gay, not being okay. But I think that objectively it doesn't really make sense. And I think that parents should go into it without any assumptions about what their kid's sexual orientation might be. And parents should be very open to the idea that their kid might be bi or pan or gay or any or asexual or some variation of those identities. But I think that it's less and less likely that your kids can identify as straight because our society is becoming more and more accepting of queer people and trans people. So yeah, all your kids are gay. Just deal with it. (laughs) Funny Jackie, but I agree with you. I mean, I look at, you know, the young people of your generation and I'm finding that to be more and more true. Not that everybody's gay, but with the younger generations and all the research is showing this. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but all the numbers that come out from all the polls are that each younger generation, a higher percentage are identifying as somewhere in the LGBTQ spectrum. Yeah. You've seen that as well. I have seen similar data. I think that is definitely correct. And I, and I think that People always say, or well, conservative people always say, ah, that's the liberal media and people like us going around brainwashing kids. Right. And it is. We're winning. Um, No, but. (laughs) (laughs) Jackie's in in a little bit of a sarcastic mood, which is kind of fun. (laughs) The real her. (laughs) This is what I see. (laughs) You're getting a taste Um, of it. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I mean, what what it really is, is it's just that as society becomes more accepting and as information about what it means to be queer becomes more available to more people, more people are going to realize that they are queer. Like I would have come out as trans much earlier in my life if I had had the language and the information to understand that that's what I was feeling and that's what I was experiencing. So I I think that's true for a lot of people. And I think that that's exactly what we're trying to do here. We're trying to educate families, but I think we're also putting out hopefully informative information for people who might be queer or might be questioning or might be trans and just figuring that out and trying to navigate what that means for them. Because I know that those online resources were really important for me. And I know that they're really important for a lot of people who are just coming to terms with their identity every day. Yeah, absolutely. And if you are out there and you're listening and you're questioning and you're not sure, just know that there is help. There is support. You know, PFLAG is fantastic. There are lots of online groups, as Jackie mentioned. And whether or not it's safe to talk to people in your family, there are ways that you can reach out to communities, lots of safe communities where you can talk to people. And I know that you did that, Jackie, when you were, you know, kind of figuring out what you were actually going through and that helped you to get clarity. 
So just to touch back just a tiny bit on this issue of the assumptions, you know, just like I assumed that you were cisgender, I assumed that you were straight. And so I want to say to parents and to their kids, you know, just because you can't tell, you don't think you can see any signs doesn't mean it's not something that's visible, right? Like, I, you know, I know parents also who are kind of like, oh, my kid's probably gay. They think they see the signs, even though the kid hasn't announced it, right? But they may not be. And also parents who are like, oh, I would know if my kid was gay, I would see signs, right? In the stereotypical yeah, things that I, we would think of. I mean, I think this is a really important point is that there is no one way to be gay. There's no one way to be bi. There's no one way to be asexual. Like people, people make all these assumptions about, oh, my kid, my kid who I think is male is presenting in a more feminine way therefore they must be gay like plenty of straight men who are just a little bit more feminine like everyone is different everyone presents differently and that doesn't necessarily and there's plenty of gay people who are very not plenty of gay men who are very not feminine in any way so it's very subjective and you can't assume that just because your child has some trait that means they're a certain sexual orientation and i think you have to especially for parents and for anyone who has a queer person in your life, which is probably everyone, I would say you have to be accepting of fluidity of identities. You have to understand that people explore their identities over time and they they may redefine their identities as they have new experiences and realize new things about themselves and that that's all okay and you can't hold someone to some past identity and say, well, you said you weren't queer then, but you are queer now, or it, it's very subjective and it's very fluid. Exactly, exactly. And that is that is true throughout the lifespan <laughs> because I'm seeing more and more women my age, for instance, leaving their heterosexual marriage, you know, their opposite sex marriage and enter a same sex relationship. And a very visible public example of this is Glennon Doyle and Amy Wambach. If you're not following them, please follow. They're very active in the LGBT community, but their story is so fascinating, I think. And a great example of all the fluidity because um, Glennon Doyle was famous for writing the book Love Warrior several years ago where she was struggling with her husband and they had all these issues and she wrote about it so honestly and it was so raw. And then she fell in love with Amy Wambach and left her husband for Amy. Amy's a, also a retired um, soccer celebrity. And so they fell in love, but they never even had any physical contact until after Glennon left her husband, you know, and entered into this um, relationship and basically gave up her whole life and with three kids, you know, and everything. And they're super happy now. They've been married since 2017. Um, and they're very public about their relationship. And so we're seeing more and more of this as well. And so people might want to ask, well, is she gay? Is she straight? How does she identify? Who knows? And really, why does it even matter? You know, maybe she was always bisexual. Maybe she was always really lesbian. Maybe she's you know, maybe there's no label. It's just fluid and it changes. And it can also be based on just one individual. You know, I don't really know what she even says about this, but it could be that she's completely straight, but she fell in love with Amy and is wants to be married to and in a romantic and sexual relationship with Amy for the rest of her life. And that's just because Amy is Amy. You know what I mean? So like this complicates it in a way that I think is hard for people because it's not these neat categories and constructs. It's really complex. Yeah, I think the whole point of, in my opinion, this advocacy and of greater acceptance of LGBTQ people is hopefully that we have less rigid roles that we that we have to assign ourselves in society, because I think that that's 
in every area of life, whether it's your gender identity, whether it's your sexual orientation, whether it's your race, whether it's your economic class, whether it's your where you were born and how that affects your life. There's there's so many different constructs that we assign ourselves and that we try to predetermine who we're supposed to be and how our lives are supposed to look based on those constructs. And I, I just don't think that any of that is really that valid. I think that we have to look beyond those and we have to recognize that there's a lot of fluidity to identity and to the human experience and just accept it for what it is and not be so concerned with putting everyone else and ourselves into all these little boxes. Exactly. And even it's not even a spectrum. So I'm sorry to say those of you out there who really like the idea of a spectrum and are teaching that and there's all kinds of little graphics with a spectrum. I'm really sorry to say that a spectrum doesn't even come close to describing the complexity of it, right? It's it's like for every individual human on the planet, they have their own sexuality. And so we need that's simply how we need to look at it and respect that. And Jackie, something you said reminded me of, I think, an important issue that I want us to bring up. And then we're going to get into we're kind of setting this up and hitting some points that I think are important at a high level, like overall. And then we're going to talk about some of the actual terms. But um, the idea of how the world sees you when you walk out in the world with your partner and how differently um, you can be received just walking around in the world if you're viewed by those who see you as in a partnership with someone of what appears to be the opposite gender and what appears to be the same gender or sex, right? So like two men, you know, holding hands, walking down the street, kissing, whatever, are going to probably get different responses no matter where they're walking, even in San Francisco. I don't probably less likely in San Francisco, but, you know, than a man and a woman holding hands and kissing, walking along the street. So what are your thoughts about that? About And, and certainly we want to highlight the power of heterosexual privilege and how for, how taken for granted it is. So thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think this is kind of in the same bucket as like passing for trans people where you can be trans and you can have a very similar experience to another trans person, but at the same time, the subjective way in which cisgender people out in the world perceive you has such a huge impact on how you're treated by them. And that's so totally subjective and so totally based on just like luck of the complete luck of the draw. And I think that there's a similar thing with being visibly queer or being in a visibly queer relationship. Like if you are, in a relationship with anyone, whether whether it's like a trans person or a non-binary person, or you're in, in a relationship with a person of the same gender identity as you, like any kind of relationship where the majority of cis people out on the street are going to look, cis people out on the street are going to look at you and say, they look queer, they look, they don't look normal, whatever that, that feeling that people get, you're visibly queer. And that's a notable difference. And you can be queer, but not be in a visibly queer relationship or you can be queer and be in a visibly queer relationship and you might have the same identity as someone like I identify as bisexual but it's a very big difference if I'm in a visibly queer relationship or not in a visibly queer relationship and so that affects my lived experience a lot even though I have the same identity regardless. Right so you've experienced both and it definitely feels different presenting in the world clearly in a partnership with someone who appears to be of the same sex. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a hugely different experience. And that's that's part of why I live in San Francisco, because I 
have I would have a hard time living anywhere else where being queer is not so normalized. So, yeah, yeah. Def- definitely not the same. I mean, even in LA, it's, it's not the same, not even close. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so we think about people in other parts of the country where it must be terrifying to come out and probably more likely, more less likely for young people to come out and to feel safe to come out. Well, and even when young people do come out, I think there's this implicit pressure to not be visibly queer, to be as heteronormative as possible, to like do the, you know, Pete Buttigieg, like, and, and, and Pete Buttigieg, I'm not trying to like start anything, but Pete Buttigieg is great, but like, there's a certain like amount of like heteronormative performance that he has to do as a politician who is gay on the national stage. And I think that's a very interesting thing to navigate because we haven't had a gay politician um, at the national level before. And, and and it's exciting to see someone who's queer um, actually in a cabinet post like that and be someone who's considered to potentially be president one day. And it'll be interesting to see how he has to navigate that and how other queer um political leaders have to navigate that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I'm very happy to see that we see signs of progress, you know, but I think we agree it's not happening fast enough and more education is needed and more change is needed. Yeah. So just again, I want to take another moment to differentiate gender identity and sexual orientation, because we're talking about things like how people see us in the world and what we're going to face when we come out and things like that. And just a little story to lead into that. I don't think I ever told you this, but when I was in early when you, after you came out, I think in the beginning you were saying, you know, you were still getting in touch with everything and you were saying, you know, I'm still attracted to women. And I remember telling someone that and them saying to me, well, then why, why don't they just stay male if they're attracted True. to women? I was, I was and still am attracted to Right. Attracted. And maybe others. Right. But I'm just saying like only, like I thought I, I, you know, now I get it. Like, I don't, it doesn't even like, now it's like you're identified as bisexual. Right. But so let's say, but what, I think I've known, I was, I think this, I've known, I don't, I don't know that we've ever really had this conversation. So maybe we'll have it. On no, podcast, let's have it. I mean, let's I, have it right here I in think, front of everybody. I think I've known, I think I've known I was bi since well before I figured out and really fully understood that I was trans. I think in the moment when you happen to ask about it in the aftermath of me coming out as trans, I didn't feel like having that whole conversation on top of everything else that we were dealing with, with me being out as trans. So I think it felt like something that made more sense to just kind of casually bring up later, which is kind of, I think, how I did it. I think so. it's all a blur now, but thank you for sharing that because I don't know if I realized that. I don't know. There's so much that's a blur, but so no. See, I there's, your, there's your headline. Listen to Jackie and Bridget figure out. <laughs> <laughs> how long Jackie actually knew she was bi or not. So you're so, so that, okay. Well, that's interesting. I'm just processing now. Okay. So you knew that at a younger age, but didn't share that with us for obvious reasons. Well, and I think you? that is a great, that's a great opportunity to bring up the compulsory heteronormativity and the compulsory heterosexuality of it is like, I knew I was bi, but I knew that I was attracted to girls and that based on the sexual based on based on the gender identity that I was assigned um that made sense I was supposed to be attracted to girls so it's like so what if I was also attracted to other people and to people who were not girls then didn't matter because I could just be attracted to the right people and ignore the fact that I was also attracted to not the right people and I think that's a very um 
widespread experience among people who are bi or pan or attracted to more than one gender identity. Absolutely. And do you think for a lot of those people that it comes up at some point, kind of it comes to a point where, you know, you can't, you want to, you might want to explore it or you might want to acknowledge that and share it with someone who you feel safe with. And it's really hard to keep, that's a, that's a way of being in the closet. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think that's a way that a lot of people are in the closet still. And, you know, even like for people who might be married or in committed monogamous relationships, like it's still important to explore your own identity and to understand your own sexual orientation. So yeah, good luck with (laughs) figuring that out. It can be tricky. Again, so it's complicated. And just to, you know, again, to go back to that conversation that I had that was really jarring to me where someone said to me when I told, so the, we, we were clarifying, you know, how I thought when you first came out that you were basically still going to be, that you were still going to only be attracted to women, right? <laughs> I don't even know. I was going to say straight, but it's not straight. It's, it's then lesbian. But anyway, See, all the terms are, none of the terms really work, nor did they ever. But anyway, when I thought this and was talking to someone about it, and they actually said, well, then why not just stay male? Because, like, it makes sense, right? You want to be with women. You could, like, they didn't get, someone didn't get. And I think, I know you're looking quizzically, but I think some people really don't understand this, that your gender identity is who you are. It doesn't matter who you're attracted to. You need to be in alignment with and living the truth of your gender identity, even if that's going to make you a lesbian or whatever, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think it's that's why things get so conflated. Like we, we talk about these things in the same conversations and people who don't, aren't, people who aren't interested in educating themselves about the actual details of what it means to be queer and different queer identities blur it all together and make these incorrect assumptions about oh wait you're trans but you're still straight so why are you trans i don't understand (laughs) right right so have people actually said that to you too i mean that's basically what the person you were just describing that's what the person said said. to me i can't imagine (laughs) that you would be in a circle with someone who would say that to you directly but i never know you know, people surprise me all the time. So no one's, I've no people, one's suggested. I've had, people, I've had people say some pretty interesting things, but not that specifically. Okay. No. Okay. But so that was, you know, please, if you're listening and you've ever had a thought like that, hopefully this clarifies the difference and that they're two totally different things, your gender identity and your sexual orientation. So let's get to some of the terminology. I only highlighted a few of the terms. We want this to be informative for people. And I will go alphabetically because I have this alphabetical list of 46 terms. I'll put that article link in the show notes. So we talked about asexual, which is also sometimes referred to as aces. Do you hear that term regularly? Or is that, and you can, maybe Jackie, you can help us and be like, no, people don't. I've heard the term ace, but not aces. Like, Well, the, they're plural. talking the plural. Asexual people are also referred to as aces. Yeah. Yes. I've heard that. Yeah. Okay. So like, tell me if some, any of these terms is not in common usage and you're like, mom, I mean, no, I'm not the judge. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not out there in the world enough to know what people we are not what. speaking for everyone, but as someone who's 53 to have access to someone who's 24 and can say, yes, I will give is- my individual perspective and mine alone. 
that's all we ever do, right, Jackie? And people are still listening. No, watching. I know. I just don't want to. I just don't want to <laughs> make judgments. Like, is that is that a term that people use? Because other people might use it. I might not use it. You yeah. know, your take on it is important. So there's also a romantic, which which is defined as a romantic orientation that describes people who experience little or no romantic attraction, regardless of sex or gender. So we, you know, really important to distinguish. That there's different difference between big difference between romantic attraction and sexual attraction, and they may come together and they may not. And so the next term alphabetically is, and we're not going to go through like the whole alphabet, but just a few terms here, bisexual. So you said you do identify as bisexual. There's also, well, I'll define it. And then I want to compare it to pansexual and see what you think about that. But it's, I think it goes to your point that everybody gets to choose for themselves, right? But based on this definition of bisexual, it seems like it's the same as pansexual. So a sexual orientation that describes people who experience sexual, romantic, or emotional attractions to people of more than one gender. Also referred to as bi, typically includes individuals who are attracted to a variety of people with genders that are similar to and different than their own. Yep, that is how I experience it. So you wouldn't identify as pansexual you would you feel bisexual is more accurate for you yeah i mean i think that if someone identifies as pansexual that's what works for them i identify as bisexual i think there's a lot of nuance that it's it's up to each person to kind of figure out which term feels right for them so right well i'll go down to the definition for pansexual since i am kind of asking how we would compare and contrast them and it says for pansexual a term that describes individuals who can experience sexual, romantic, or emotional attraction to any person, regardless of that person's gender, sex, or sexuality. So just something to think about. I think it's true. Like everyone gets to figure out what works for them. And everyone also has the right to say, I don't identify with any of these. <laughs> don't label me. And I'm hearing more and more people say that as well, which I think is great. So demisexual. Is that a term that you hear often or at all, Jackie, demisexual? I can't say I have, but I mean, I'm sure it's a term that people might use. What, what yeah. was the definition? I think I've heard it or maybe seen it like on social media, but I wasn't really clear. It says the definition is that it's on the asexual spectrum. This sexual orientation describes individuals who experience sexual attraction only under specific circumstances, such as after building a romantic or emotional relationship with a person. So I remember, I think I remember seeing a video where someone described herself as demisexual. And basically the idea was that she's only attracted to her partner sexually. Like she's never been attracted to anyone else and she can't, she has, doesn't expect to ever be attracted. But again, to our point earlier, it's all fluid. It could change. But that's that's how she used that definition, and, well, I think and she that's did feel it was helpful it, for her. I think that's interesting because it gets into how, like, how you're attracted to people and how you experience attraction versus just who you experience attraction to. Um, so, I mean, I guess that sounds like a label where you could be bisexual or lesbian or gay and demisexual because demisexual is maybe speaking. I mean, I'm sure. To, People will tell us in our comments and feedback if we're wrong. But like, based on that, it sounds like demisexual is speaking less to who you're attracted to and more to how you experience that attraction. Yes. Like the conditions under specific circumstances. Exactly. Such as a, 
a, a, a romantic or emotional relationship. Yeah, yeah. So just just throwing that in there because I have heard it out in the world. And demi-romantic, same thing. This romantic orientation describes individuals who experience romantic attraction only under specific circumstances, such as after building an emotional relationship with a person. So the next one is fluid, and we've been throwing that around, but I want to give you the definition that I found. It says this term refers to the fact that sexuality, sexual attraction, and sexual behavior can change over time. Hear this, parents. Your kid may tell you when they're 12, I'm a lesbian, or I'm asexual, or any anything, anything on this list of 46. And when they're 20, or 30, or 40, it could be something different. It could be nothing of this. It could be something entirely new that we don't even know about yet, right? So um, it is fluid. So fluid is also used to describe those who experience shifts in their sexuality, sexual attraction, or sexual behavior in different situations throughout the course of their lifetime. You may hear someone describe their sexuality as fluid. Any thoughts on that, Jackie? I think sexuality is fluid for maybe not everyone, but a lot of people. And it's, again, just can't stress enough, especially for parents and people who might be struggling to understand these things or struggling to understand what it means to be queer or what it means to be bi or pan or gay or lesbian or any of these things, um, that it's all fluid and that's okay. And it doesn't invalidate someone's identity just because that hasn't always been how they articulated their identity. Exactly. Yeah. So as, and since we're on terminology, the next one's gay. I'm not going to read gay because I'm assuming that anybody listening to us knows, knows the definition of gay. But under gay, it notes something I think that's important to say in case anybody listening doesn't know, but I bet everybody, most do. The fields of medicine and psychology previously referred to this sexual orientation as homosexual. Homosexual is now viewed as an outdated and offensive term and should not be used to refer to LGBTQIA, it says here, individuals. Is that true in your experience, Jackie? I don't think I've heard anyone who is actually queer describe themselves or anyone else as a homosexual. I think that is a pretty dated term. Even transsexual, I've heard more than homosexual. Like homosexual, I don't think I've ever heard anyone. Well, that's jumping over to gender identity, but I've heard transsexual used too instead of transgender. I think transsexual is also a somewhat dated term, but is more, it, it's, it's still more frequently in use as opposed to homosexual. I think homosexual has really been pretty thoroughly um, left behind. <laughs> and it has not been reclaimed like the word clear, queer has been. So it's important to understand the distinction that really it's members of the community to, who get to define the words that feel empowering and the words that are outdated and offensive. Yeah, and then, and then there's even a conversation about, and this isn't to call you out or anything, but there's even a conversation about whether people who don't identify as queer should be allowed to use the word queer, like as a word that has been reclaimed that um, is has a very ugly history. So I think all those things are very important to acknowledge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for letting me know that. I'll be mindful of that, and we all need to be. And that brings up. Also, the LGBTQ, because I'm looking at this article and that one section said LGBTQIA. So there's also some, I know, controversy or discussion about whether the IA is part of the acronym, which would stand for intersex and asexual. And we already discussed asexual. And intersex is where people are born with 
um, some variation where they're not assigned completely male or female at birth. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I don't really have a take on whether intersection asexual should should or shouldn't be in the acronym because I feel like that's kind of I feel like I would rather leave it up to I, I haven't done a lot of research to be honest on like the intersex and asexual communities and whether they want to be part of the acronym or whether there's like I don't know if there's a uniform desire in those communities to be part of the acronym if if there is and they want to be part of the acronym that's great I I'm not trying to gatekeep the acronym but I also just don't want to like add on other communities that I can't speak for necessarily or don't yeah don't know if they want to be part of the acronym so but but I think the acronym is it's it's an evolving thing you know the Q was not always part of the acronym like it was LGBT and there's a lot of LGB was much more popular or like GLBT or there's all different variations of acronym that have existed for a long time already yeah exactly so people get to choose so I think people will use the acronym that they feel um, is accurate and inclusive and respectful as much as possible. So just to clarify, intersex is an umbrella term that describes bodies that fall outside the strict male-female binary, and there are lots of ways that someone can be intersex. And, you know, we won't go into all of the, the issues, but there's a lot of concern over intersex babies and their parents deciding to have them undergo surgery as a baby that that forces them into male or female bodies. And some of those folks end up being transgender because they were forced by their parents and the doctors into a particular body. And many people would argue that the person, the individual should get to choose when they feel they're clear on their gender identity. So there's a whole conversation around that happening as well. Yeah, I I actually think it's important to acknowledge pulling up an article so I can accurately reference it. But I think it's important to acknowledge that my state senator, Scott Weiner, has been trying for three years to ban some types of surgeries, um, basically the ones you're describing, on young children born with intersex characteristics. Um, so these are irreversible surgeries that are often performed on infants. I mean, it's really insane to me that in a state like California, where we try to be better than these things, that we're still doing this and that um, Senator Weiner has been trying for three years to do this. And the bill has been unable to get out of committee because the California Medical Association, which again, California Medical Association, that is the statewide association of doctors. Um, so let's do better doctors. Let's, um, let's change that. Let's stop killing this bill to prevent irreversible surgeries on minors. Let's have the, uh, let's have the courage to admit that you were wrong on this and that you've been doing a lot of harm with these surgeries and let's stop trying to kill this bill because I think the California Medical Association should be really ashamed of themselves for killing this bill over and over again. And I think any political candidate who is accepting the endorsement of the California Medical Association should be really ashamed of themselves because that's basically telling me that you don't support intersex kids. Absolutely. I'm 100% in agreement. And I've actually read some articles and saw one TED Talk in particular. I'll also put the link to that in the show notes by a an intersex person who talked about the horrors of been made to have the surgery and what a mistake that was and the tra the um and also the violation of all the doctors over all the years, you know, being so invasive with their body because seeing them as kind of, you know, like 
not even a person because they, you know, because they're intersex. And if it was like something that had to be medically fixed in ways that others would define and determine, and it was just heartbreaking to hear this story. So please be informed about that as well. And when you see the LGBTQIA, if should you see that out there, know that that that's what the I stands for. And if you're if you're interested in taking a little action to try to support this and ask your primary care for you have presumably a lot of people who are listening have primary care physicians and have relationships with their primary care physicians. So next time you meet with your primary care physician, ask them if they're a member of the California Medical Association. And if they are a member of the California Medical Association, ask them whether they will commit to lobbying the association to changing their stance on Senator Weiner's intersex bill because you're their customer. So they should they should want to do you solid on that one. Absolutely. Yep. And I will make a note to um, make sure. I know. I'm that... like, I'm like, ooh, I got to no, bug it's my great. doctor it's imp- about that. It's important um, that TED Talk that I'm going to put in the show notes is something you can share because it's actually hearing from someone who is intersex and who shares the trauma that was inflicted over a lifetime because of that fact. And that even some involved now regret it and see the error of their ways. So this is a really important issue that we need to be active on and be informed about. Absolutely. Now, being intersex has no connection to sexual orientation, right? Yes. We've gone a little bit off, but it's an important topic. It's okay because it's an important topic. And this acronym is putting everybody together, right? Because there may be some... And that's the question. It's like, do, do we, to what extent do we want to lump different experiences like being trans which is a very different experience from not being straight into this or being intersex or being asexual to what extent do we want to lump experiences into a community i think it's always going to be a trade-off because the more communities you can bring together the more uh, the, the larger coalition you can build and the more power you can build but at the same time the more diffused that experience gets and the less the less shared experience you have and the more you're speaking for people with very different experiences. So I I think that's all very subjective and all very fluid. And I'm sure the acronym will continue to change over the years. Exactly. Exactly. So however it changes and however we see it out there, we want to honor whatever each individual identifies for themselves, as Jackie said at the beginning. So I think that's the clear answer when it's like, well, should I use this or should I use that? First of all, it's not really the place of someone who's heterosexual and cisgender to be choosing any of those things, but just to be noticing and honoring and respecting what people in the community are articulating as far as how they identify and what labels they want to use or don't want to use and how. Now, another term on the list is passing. And this is a term that's used a lot. And some people actually feel the term itself is now derogatory and problematic, right? So let me just define and then get your take on it. Passing refers to society's perceptions and assumptions of someone's sexuality or gender. This term is commonly used to discuss the frequency and extent to which an LGBTQIA person is perceived as perceived or assumed to be straight or cisgender. So this is something that does apply to the anyone identifying in that acronym, wh- whether you are seen as passing or not. It's important to note that some LGBTQIA plus people have the desire to pass while others do not. In fact, the act of being perceived as straight or cisgender can be a source of discomfort and discrimination for some in the LGBTQIA community. What do you think about that, Jackie? Yeah, I think that it's important to acknowledge that this is a very <laughs> complex issue. And I think that 
right off the bat, I the one thing that I as an individual have to acknowledge is most important in my opinion is that passing is uh, is a privilege and that as much as it may make a queer person uncomfortable to not be perceived as queer, there's also a lot of <clears throat> queer people who are scared to be perceived as queer and who are in fear of their safety because they are perceived as queer. And so, like you said, even in San Francisco, like even in the most accepting places, there's always going to be hateful people who, if they perceive you as queer, they're going to want to do some kind of harm to you. And that is a threat that people who are visibly queer who don't pass are always going to face. And and I get that. I mean, I deal with that on a regular basis. And, and it, like I said, again, it's part of the reason why I live in San Francisco. And I, I think it's important to acknowledge that. And it's also important to acknowledge that it might be really strange to be part of this community and then all of a sudden pass and feel like you're alienated from part of the community or people who don't pass. And I don't think that people who don't pass should alienate people who pass. Um, but I do think that it's important to acknowledge the inherent privilege that comes with passing, whether it's passing a straight or passing a cis in whatever way. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Tons of privilege. And just, I think also important to note being careful, especially for cisgender and heterosexual people not to assume that people want to pass. I know that's something that, or that that's really important to them or that they should try to. I know for parents of transgender kids or even of kids who may be, may identify as other than heterosexual, their parents may put pressure on them to pass and to hide their true identity because of the parents' discomfort with reactions out in the world or the parents' fears, as you spoke to Jackie of violence. But it's that individual's choice, right? Or it not may not even be their choice. It may just be however they feel and their reaction to the idea of passing or not passing. It's not up to anyone else to like put their emotional reaction or their needs or their fears onto the LGBTQ person. Yep. I completely agree. And I think that's probably a good note to end on because I do, sorry, I do have to run to the store to get that package before, before they close at five. Cause. Okay. We, we got, um, we got most of the definitions. Actually, we got all the definitions I had that I was going to go through. I wasn't going to go through all 46. So I appreciate the conversation. I think there's a lot more to it. But hopefully for our listeners and our viewers, we clarified the overall complexity and fluidity and encourage you to study this a lot more, not to make any assumptions, be very careful in conversations, um, you know, and res just respect each person's identity, whatever it may be. And if they choose not to use any of these labels to identify, respect that as well and be comfortable Learn to be comfortable with and, and appreciative of the diversity and complexity of our sexual identities as well as our gender identities. Yep. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I think this was a, an important topic to address. and I, I hope that this was helpful. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to our Transgender School podcast. We hope you learned something new and that you're inspired to learn more. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And please be sure to check out our website, transgenderschool.org. You'll find many valuable resources there, including news about upcoming courses we'll be teaching. Make sure to join us for future podcast episodes. We'll catch you on the first Tuesday of every month. 